So my dad grew up in the Great Depression, and maybe there's just a few of you in the room here, not many, who grew up at that time as well. But he grew up in a family that was actually ruined financially by the Depression. Uh, my grandfather, who I never met, who passed long before I was born, um, lost his job in the Depression and was never really able to find enough work to make ends meet for the family. And so uh, my dad and his brother and sister, mom and dad, they, they grew up with basically nothing and uh, had a house to live in and uh, just enough clothes basically to get by, but food was a constant challenge. And I remember my dad sharing this story one time that they sat down to eat dinner and they were all at the table and the table was set, but there was no food on the table. And my grandfather said, oh, well, it's time to, for us to pray and to thank God for the food. And my dad started laughing. He said, well, that's dumb because there's no food. And he says, no, we're going to pray and we're going to thank God for the food. And so they bowed their heads and they prayed together as a family that night and thanked God for the food. And before they said amen, there was a knock on the door. And they went to the door and there on the porch was a box of food that somebody from their church had brought over, realizing that they had need. And uh, so they ate that night, and it was appropriate, I guess, that they thanked God for the food. But that church walked through the Depression together. And he told another story that I thought was really interesting and really captured the idea that we want to talk about this morning. Everybody would shake hands with the pastor on the way out a little bit like I do. And if you're a guest this morning, I'd love to meet you on the way out. But everybody would shake hands, and there were some people who were still working, and there were some people who still had money. And they would take the extra that they had for that week, and then they would put it in their hands. And then when they shook hands with the pastor, it would move to the pastor's hand. And he'd take it, and he'd just put it in his pocket. And when the next person came through who wasn't working, who was in, in, in financial uh, difficulty, the pastor would reach into his pocket, pull it out, and he'd shake hands and it move on to the next person. And that's what it's supposed to be like when we come together as a church and when we give together as a church. It moves from one to the next, from the one who has to the person who doesn't have, from the person who has resources to the person who has needs. And that's how we do this thing together that we call generosity. So I want to ask this question this morning as we get started. How generous are we as a church? How well do we do at giving together? The answer to that, though, isn't really a group answer, is it? It's an individual answer. Because as I do well with this subject or this concept or this grace, really, then the church does well. But if I don't do well, then there's gaps in the story. And we struggle as a church. And so the question isn't just how generous are we as a church, but how generous are we as individuals? How generous are you? Do you consider yourself a generous person this morning? And what would be the evidence that you offer for your answer? Well, I want to wrestle with this issue by looking at another church, not just my dad's church in the past or this church here, but I want to go back to that early church in the book of Acts that we've looked at several times here in the last few weeks. And we're going to go back to Acts 2, and we're going to start reading in verse number 42 to see how they did with this idea of generosity. So I'll start reading verse number 42. They, the church there, the first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so there's several things that the church did. They came together 
to learn. And so the apostles would teach, and the apostles were the guys who had spent time with Jesus. So what they had to say was really important to the church. They came together for fellowship just because they were building friendships and relationships. They came together to break bread, and that may be communion. That may be as simple as just eating together because we tend to eat with our friends. And they came together for prayer, and we've already taken some time to do that. But then it goes on. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. But where I want to lock in is on these next two verses. And all the believers were together, that's that word again, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And what's happening here is the church has just gotten started, and so there are 3,000 plus people who are on their first steps of their Christian journey. But one of the first things that they do is they commit to generosity. And that was actually one of the attributes that marked their company and their getting together is they were they became known for their generosity. And so this church was being changed from a very selfish mindset that they would have had before they came to Christ into a mindset where it's not about me, but it's about the person next to me, it's about the person over here, it's about the person that I've heard of here. Whoever has needs, we want to give to those needs. In that little story right there, we see some insights that will help us on generosity, and we're going to mention those, but I want to catch up to this church just a few blocks down the road. As the church continues to go on, we get an update to see how they're doing, and that's in Acts chapter 4. In Luke, the author of Acts tells us this in Acts 4.32, All the believers were one in heart and in mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. And and don't forget that phrase. God's grace was powerfully at work in them all so that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses, they sold them. They brought the money from the sales, and they put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. And so we get an update on the church. But what's interesting to me that the update doesn't mention anything about the apostles' teaching. It doesn't mention anything about prayers. It doesn't mention anything about eating together. The update that we get on the early church here is that they were still practicing generosity. And that this was a descriptor of what their church was about. And so generosity, I believe, is a mark of a healthy church. And this church was going forward, and this was one of the things that was carrying it forward. So what I want to do this morning is I want to explore this idea of generosity, just to say, what is it exactly? We have this idea in our head, but what is it from the story, and what is it from the Scriptures that we've looked at this morning? The first thing is this. Generosity is me using my resources to meet another person's needs. And we get this from the story, those who had houses and land, those who had extra, they would bring in and they would give it to other people. So generosity is using my resources to meet somebody else's need. The simple idea that what I have, I give to you if you need it. So what I have then is not just something for me to have, it's something for me to share. So that means that what I have 
Maybe the reason that I have it is so that I can help out somebody who doesn't have it. That means that God may have given me what I have because He knew that there was going to be somebody over here who had need and I could be the one to pass it on. That's what generosity is about. It's saying the resources that I have have been given to me by God. And yes, I can use them. But yes, I can pass them on and I can share them with other people. And so that brings us to a couple of questions. First of all, what do I have? When's the last time you really just sat and, and took inventory of some of the resources that God has given you in your life? We're incredibly blessed, aren't we? All of us? But what are those resources? But there's a better, there's a, there's another question that follows that that I think is better for us to ask. Why do I have what I have? It may not just be for me to collect. It may be for me to share. And that's what was going on in this story. We just did this kickball for a cause yesterday, and, and, and it fits with this right here. My daughter, Lindsay, uh, did some study abroad over in Uganda, and she came home. She had been an intern there at the Salama School for the Blind. And she's telling me about this, this school, and it's, it's a Christian organization, and they have these kids who come to this school because uh, the public schools really don't educate them, and parents don't have enough money to send them to private school. And so they have this boarding school, and they just eat by on the, the meagerest of tuition. And tuition for, for and room and board is, I think she said, $168, $186, somewhere under $200 per semester. And so she's telling me about the Salama school, and I'm like, well, Lens, how many kids do we need to sponsor then? Right? And she's like, well, it, it can't be that way because they can't learn to be dependent upon Western funds. But I said to her, I said, okay, Lindsay, though, here's the deal. Why do I have resources when Christian brothers and sisters and kids in the world don't. What do I do? So this is where we landed on the whole kickball thing. It's a one-time project. So we're not trying to foster dependency, but we are trying to say, you know what? We are blessed and we are resourced. And if there's some people over there who need, then I want to commit my resources to meet, to, to meet those needs. And that's what generosity is all about. Generosity, secondly, lives with a line. And let me explain this. They sold to give. But they sold, whatever they sold was evidently above the line of what they needed. And so they took everything above that line and they sold it so that they could give to other people. And we all have this line. I would call this line the line of enough. It's, it's, it's what I need to live on, and it's what I consider to be enough. But if you notice this about the line, it has a tendency to move. And the more you have, that line has a tendency to creep up. And I need everything that I have, right? And that's what enough looks like, and I get a little bit more, and enough keeps, and generosity lives with that line and says, no, enough is enough. And then generosity starts to push that line down. And what was going on in this story is those people said, you know what, I have this house, but I don't need this. I don't know if it was a summer home or whatever. Or I have this land and I don't need I have enough already. What's above that line? 
I'm going to use that as a way to meet somebody else's needs. And so generosity lives with the line where we say this is enough. And we keep trying to push that line down because as I push that line down, everything above that line becomes fair game for me to share with somebody else. Third thing here, generosity costs. They didn't recover the money from the house they sold or the possessions they sold or the fields that they sold. They took a loss. They came in and they put it at the apostles' feet and said, do whatever you want with it. But that money was not coming back to them. And I think this is something that we need to get our heads around, is that if we're going to be generous people, it is going to cost us. And we must be willing to take the loss. And this is where we struggle. Because if I take a loss here, I might not have enough. And generosity says, you know what, I'm just going to take the loss, and I'm not going to worry about that. And so as we look at this, as generous people, where are you taking a loss right now? Let me just give you a heads up before we're done this morning. We're going to get beyond just the idea of giving money too. But where in your life are you meeting other people's needs and maybe it's costing you something? Because that's what generosity looks like. Generosity, fourthly, requires me to make other people more important than myself. And this is so good. Because generosity then is a key to unlock the prison of self-absorption and self-interest and just plain old selfishness. Because when I have to give to you, then I have to be about you and not so much about me. And I'm deliberately choosing you over me and I'm deliberately choosing to live at a disadvantage so that you can have the advantage. And if you want to go back, Jesus talked about that, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. That's what that's all about. Living at a disadvantage so that somebody else can have the advantage. And generosity moves me out of that where I'm worried about me and moves me into the realm where I care more about you. Now, that doesn't mean that selfish people don't give. In fact, selfish people do give. But the problem is they give with a hope of return. You can follow into the next chapter in Acts here of uh, Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, they gave in hopes of return. And the hopes of return were things like admiration or uh, applause or cheers. And there's a lot of reasons that we can... So, so it doesn't mean that if you give, you're not selfish, but selfish or giving will move us out of that realm. And we need to be careful then when we give that we don't give selfishly, right? But when we give because we generally love and care and are concerned about somebody, when we're doing it for them and not for us, then it gets us past that self-absorption. And I don't know if anybody else struggles with that, but I do. You know, I want to be, I don't want to be inconvenienced by anybody. I don't, you know, want letting somebody else go first. I don't want, because I'm worried about me and generosity is an answer to that. Generosity also gives with no strings attached. I love that little phrase in the story. And they came and they brought it to the apostles. They didn't find somebody else who had a need and take it to them. They brought it to the apostles and said, hey, you guys figure out what to do with this. Because when I've, when I've let go of it then, I don't know where it goes. I don't know what happens to it. Other than I'm assuming it's going to people who have need. But it's out of my hands. And generous people give with no strings attached because generosity is not transactional. We don't give because of what we can get. 
And I think we need to be really careful with that. And I realize in Luke 6 it talks about give and it shall be given to you. But that's not transaction. That's a little bit different. The idea, though, is that we should be giving not so that we get something back, but we should be giving so that other people are blessed. Now, there's a reciprocity that comes because God makes sure that generous people have the means to be generous with. But that's not the why. And so we need to be careful that when we give, we don't give for the wrong reason. See, generosity is supposed to be more responsive than it, than it is to be expressive. And here's what I mean by that. I give because of what I've received. I don't give to receive. So God has blessed me over here, or God has done this for me over here. So because I've received this, I look at this and say, in gratitude, I'm going to share that. So we give in response. We don't give to say, well, I'll feel good about myself for having done this. And this is something that we even see in today's world, and I'm, I'm not opposed to this. We see a lot of altruism where people are serving or people are giving, and we live in a very generous world, and we live in a very generous country, by the way. And, and you know, and that's one thing that Americans are great at. Is good. But we have to be careful that we're giving to meet needs, not to giving to feel good about ourselves. Sometimes we can fall into that trap, but generosity just says, you know what? I'm going to let go of this. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, where Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. It's because when I've let go of it, I don't have to worry about it. That'll be in your growth guide this week, by the way, if you follow along with that. Generosity also reminds me that God is in the business of meeting needs. He uses His people to meet His people's needs. But let me take you back to that first story that I told about my dad. There were people on both sides of the handshake. There were those who gave, and there were those who received. But we need to be reminded sometimes that God may ask us to go through those times in life where we're on the receiving end. And there's a grace in that as well. But if I give, and if I'm generous in in the process of that, maybe somehow it causes a need in my story. The whole picture here, the reciprocity I'm talking about, is the fact that God knows what your needs are too. And He can just as easily meet your needs. Just as easily as you can put a five in the in the pastor's hand, the pastor can put a five in your hand. And so generosity reminds me, when I am generous, I am reminding myself that God meets my needs. And the fact that He has allows me to pass it on. Now, we could stop right there and have plenty to chew on, but the story doesn't actually stop there. As Chris spoke last week, he talked about how the church got to Acts 12 and they lost their expectancy a little bit when it came to prayer. Well, the church here we can track as well. It expands beyond Jerusalem and it goes into the different corners of the world. And as it goes into the corners of the world, these same graces of giving and generosity are practiced by these other churches. But interestingly enough, the church back in Jerusalem, where this all got started, falls on hard times. And so Paul gets the word out to a lot of these churches, hey, we need to take up an offering for this church back in Jerusalem. They're going to be on the receiving end now, those who have been so good on the giving end. And so these different churches start to give. And the church in Corinth was one. The church in Macedonia was another. But the church in Corinth kind of dropped the ball. And Paul's gently chiding them and said, you know what, you guys need to, you guys need to be generous here and take care of the church back here in Jerusalem. 
He says, in fact, let me give you an illustration of a church that's doing a great job with this, and that's the church in Macedonia. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and he gives a, a challenge to them, but in the process of giving a challenge, he looks at this church in Macedonia who is still practicing generosity. And so we see this generosity theme continues to roll on as the church expands and as the church moves into new territories. And so let's see what's going on with this church in Macedonia and read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. And that's the second time we've seen that phrase about this grace and the idea that generosity involves grace. Don't lose that thought. This grace that God's given to the Macedonian churches in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in them to cause rich generosity. All right, we just, we just moved into entirely different territory here. The early church in Jerusalem, the people were looking like, what do I not need here that I can do without? Or where's my line here that I can push down a little bit? But they were giving from their abundance. When we get to this church in Macedonia, their line is here, what they need. They're not even living up to this line, and they're still giving. They're giving out of scarcity. That's amazing, isn't it? Because in my mind, here's how generosity works. I take my extra and I give it to you. In this church, they didn't have any extra. In fact, they didn't even have enough. And they said, but you know what? We're still willing to give it. We finish up reading here. It says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And notice that next line. And even beyond their ability. And you know what they do? They just blow apart our biggest excuse for not being generous. Well, I couldn't afford it. Well, it's really tight right now. Well, I don't know if we have any extra this month. They didn't either. And they are actually, check out this as we keep reading. It gets better. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. Do you see generosity as a privilege? As an opportunity? Or do you see it more as a responsibility or even an obligation? Okay, I have to do that. They're looking at this saying, could we please do this? Don't, don't, don't exclude us, Paul. I know you think we don't have it, but we want to be involved in what's going on here. They wanted to share in the privilege of sharing with God's people in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so from this, we learned a couple of things. First of all, generosity is not dependent upon resources. That means that generosity is not so much resource-based as it is need-based. If you become aware of a need, then you have not just the, 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 the obligation, you have the privilege, you have the opportunity of doing something about meeting that need, even if you don't feel like you have enough. That's crazy, isn't it? And yet that's exactly what this is teaching. Because somehow in this process, God is still faithful, right? And he still 
takes care of us. So when we say that we can't, it's not really the truth because of this next point. Because generosity is a declaration of trust. And what I mean by that is generosity is me saying, okay, God, you've made me aware of this need, and I'm going to do something to meet this need. And it might be a a stretch here, but I'm going to act in faith and not in fear. And I'm going to trust you to meet my needs as you use me to meet these needs. And actually, generosity is me simply taking God at His word. Most of us, the reason we don't give is because we're greedy. Most of us, the reason we don't give is because we're fearful. It's like, ah, I don't know. But we put our security in the wrong things. The account balance in the bank, that's not where our security comes from. The paycheck, the job, the house, our confidence and our security comes in the one who gives us the ability and gives us the opportunity to have those things. Ultimately, it comes back to God. And when we are generous, it's an opportunity for us to say to God, I trust you. I'm scared to death, but I trust you. Rather than trusting me. Generosity is a work of grace. Twice we read that. That they gave because God's grace was on them. That means that if you're sitting here thinking, I'm not sure I can do that, you're probably right. We need God at work in our stories to help us do that. He gives us the desire and He gives us the ability and we can swallow hard. But when we do that, we step into the realm of the supernatural where we actually trust God in a way that we couldn't come up with on ourselves to do something that that may actually blow us away. And generosity is evidence that God is at work in our stories. And if we're not being generous, then we're shutting out God's grace. If we are being generous, that means that we are opening ourselves up to God's grace and He's giving us desire and ability to do what we need to do. And as we become generous, what do we do? We become like Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate example of grace, right? Gave it all. But if we're not being generous, we are not following the Christ that we claim to follow. Who gave his life for us. We sang about it already this morning. Well, so far we've been kind of thinking money, right? I just want to throw at you uh, several ideas that are at the bottom of your outline there in, in your, um, on the flip side of the growth guide. Ways that you can be generous, and it's not just money. You can be generous, and uh, by the way, there's a book out there called I Like Giving by a, a guy by the name of Brad Formsma that might be a good resource for some of you. And he has like seven ways that you can give, so I've borrowed some of his and added a few. But these are ways that we can be generous people. We can be generous with our words. That's both spoken and, and written. We can say kind things. We can offer encouragement. We can offer compliments. We have that ability to be generous with our words. We can offer gratitude, whether we say it or whether we write it, but those words can be generous words. They can give life to the person who hears or reads it. We can be generous with our influence. Sometimes we know somebody or sometimes we're connected to something where somebody who has need, we can actually put them in connection with each other. I um, I always love that 
that's one of the things I love is, is when I meet somebody who's kind of here and I meet somebody else who's kind of here and I realize that these two people need to talk to each other, they can be helpful to each other. I love that. But that's sometimes God gives us those things so that we can be generous with that. Sometimes we can be generous with the abilities that we have. You know, some, you know, if you have the ability, whether musically or athletically or even it's a personality or, or it, whatever, how do you use that to be generous? Because we can be generous with those things. We can be generous with our time. We all get the same amount. Some people do a better job of giving it away than the rest of us do. But we have all kinds of people in our community that could use your time. We have kids over at Grayson Elementary School who could have somebody read to them. That would be really, really helpful to them and to some teachers who are overwhelmed by their load. That's just generosity of time. We have shut-ins in our church that would love to have guests and visitors. That's just another thing, you know, generosity of time. Sometimes it's just kids, right, where you sit down and just give them full attention. Or anybody. We don't do very well giving anybody full attention. You notice that? Partly because our phone's in our hand. I mean, we put that in our pocket, and then we could give somebody some attention. But we can give that generosity of time. How about the generosity of grace? Where I offer the benefit of the doubt, or patience, or acceptance, or forgiveness. Where, you know, you don't have to be exactly like me, and you know what, I wouldn't have done that, whatever, but I can be generous with this idea of grace. How about being generous with prayer? We passed out these cards today. You have them. We'll collect them at the end. But you can pray more than just this morning for that person. The card I got last week, I've been praying for all week. But we can be generous with prayer. We can be generous with our faith and sharing our story. And, you know, we have baptism coming up in a couple of weeks and uh, somebody's getting baptized. That, that as a church, we've shared our story. We just came to Christ. But we can share our story. We can share our stuff. You know, my, my wife has a ring, a wedding ring that has a diamond in it. She'd lost hers twice. And that's another story in itself. But somebody in the church heard that she had lost the diamond and came and said, you know what, I have an extra one. Because, you know, everybody has extra diamonds lying around the house, right? But that was her stuff. And she said, you know, I don't need this. You can have this. We we just did our Up North series, and we go every year to our place up north is Manistee. It's not because we love Manistee, although we do. It's because we have friends who have stuff in Manistee called a house that they let us use. And so they give their stuff to us out of generosity. And we all have stuff like that that we can give to somebody else. Money is a way that we can be generous. And that's probably what's been running through your mind. And I don't know that it's, I mean, it's not the only thing. That's why we're talking about these other things. But sometimes money is the, the, the area, though, where we really prove it when it comes to generosity. I put down here love. We can be generous with our love. I just did a funeral for uh, a gal who died um, recently and uh, it was somewhat special needs. But uh, at the funeral, one a friend stood up to, to do a eulogy and said, you know, she was really, she liked to write letters. 
And she said, probably people in this room, you've all gotten letters. And, and people started nodding. And she said, I have a few of those letters that my parents got. I'd like to read them this morning. And so she read through these letters that this woman had written. And, and again, she was special needs. And so they're very simplistic letters. And she's reading these letters, and I'm realizing, you know what? This is what generosity looks like. She didn't have much to offer, but she had love to offer. And every person that she loved, she wrote letters to. And when this person stood up and said, probably some of you get letters, the whole room's going like this. Because we can be generous with whatever it is that God has given to us. Well, there's one last point here in conclusion. Generosity is a lifestyle. It's simply a better way to live. And as Christ followers, we're called to live this way. But if you're not even a Christ follower, if you try this, it will make your life better. It's interesting to note that that, that the commercial world is following this model. The, the, the one for one, I, you know, Tom's was one of the big ones to get that started. You buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to somebody in, in a needy country. And like every industry is following along with that now, it seems like. Because why? Because generosity simply works. That's how God's created this world to work. Because He created it as a giving God. And as we reflect who He is, Life works better for us. So what are your resources? Why has God given them to you? Not what has God given you, but why has God given them to you? Better question. What are the needs in the world around you? What do they compel you to do? How much does generosity define your life and what step will you take? I want to finish this morning with what I'm calling the Benjamin Challenge, all right? And the Benjamin I'm talking about is not the Benjamin in the Bible. He's the guy who rides around in your wallet on rare occasions. And he looks like this. And what I want to challenge you to do is to figure out a way to do $100 of generosity in the next week. And I'll give you some ideas at the end. But I'm talking about your money. And you're like, that's a lot of money. I'm like, yeah, it is. Because we want to get to the place where it costs. Because generation costs. If it's not a lot of money, then up it. Make it 500 or whatever to where it starts to feel like cost. And if it's like, you know what, there's no way I can do that, then lower it. Okay, there's no magic in the number. The magic is in the idea that it costs. But this is money that you have, but why do you have it? Because somewhere a generous God made sure that it landed in your possession. But why did it land there? Maybe so that you can meet the needs of the world around you. So you can do whatever you want. Maybe it's a person at work that you just need to put in their mailbox. There was a time in my life where we were going through it financially, where every Monday morning I go to work, and in my mailbox there was a $100 bill for 10 weeks. God is through, I have no idea who to this day. But maybe that's what you need. Maybe it's a neighbor that you know is going through a hard time. Maybe you just need to go buy a $100 of groceries or, or clothes or whatever like that to give to somebody. But I want to challenge you to take $100 and do something with it. Now, there's other opportunities going on here too. Missionary Christmas is going on right now. Maybe you would like to contribute to Missionary Christmas. That's a great way to do $100. Maybe you still like to give this kickball to a cause. We've Our goal was to raise about $3,000 for that. We've raised about half that. We'd like to get up to $3,000 to send to the school in Salama to meet that need there too. 
But the Benjamin challenge is, what will you do to be generous this week? Now, we save the offering to the end, partly because it's a great way for us to focus on the fact that, that we need to do generosity together as a church. And generally, we do pretty well with that. If you notice, there's a parking lot that's not quite done, but it's almost there because you've been generous and given to that. Um, we, we have seen generosity in some, I mean, um, Jack and Pat, Stand and share. Your generosity has helped them with housing needs over there. But let's do this together. So we're going to ask the worship team to come up as we conclude our service. We're going to take an offering here at the end. This is our regular offering. You can throw the prayer cards back in the offering plate as it comes by. If you're a guest, if you want to throw that tear off in there when it comes by. Or maybe you need to say, I'm going to just jump right in on this $100 challenge. There are ways up there. You can give at our website. You can text an amount to that number. You can write a check. um, Whatever it is. But I want to challenge you to express trust this morning. To step a little bit past your comfort zone and say, you know what? I want to be a generous person. Let's do this together. Let's pray.